Anyway, I do want to thank uh, Walter and Edge and Amber for having the cookout weenie roast thing they had last night. And that was it was fun to get out, watch the kids playing, and all that. Okay, we are going to be jumping this morning into First Timothy chapter or First Timothy chapter six, getting very close to the end of the book. It's taken us I don't know how many how probably close to two years to get here or something like that. It's been quite a while that we've been here. Uh, but as we said before, uh, Paul is wrapping up his letter here, and he's, he, he, just like we do very often at the end of the letter, we think of things that are very important, and we, uh, we, we make sure that we express those before we close uh, all of it. Uh, and as we were talking about last week in this particular section, he is contrasting worldly wealth uh, to spiritual gain. Uh, and I don't know about you, but it's certainly something that uh, that I've struggled with in in my life, and I'm sure that it's probably true for for most of us here. Uh, you know, the Bible has a lot to say about worldly wealth. Uh, and very often when it speaks about it, it does it in a cautious manner. That it's a particular subject or topic that probably we need to pay particular attention to. And I'd say it may be true for us because whether we realize it or not, I know we gripe and complain sometimes about the circumstances we may be in financially. But reality is this, is as a whole... We are the most prosperous people that have ever lived on the planet. I mean, we have all kinds of benefits and all kinds of blessings that the vast majority of people in the world still don't have. Uh, So we know this is an area where God has truly blessed all of us. And just remember, as we said before, that this is a letter by a pastor written to pastors. And so more particularly, these things apply to pastors. But everything we're going to talk about today equally applies to every one of us. So we're going to begin with verse 6, and we're going to read down through verse 10. But godliness actually is uh, a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment, and that's, that's how we ended last week. For we had brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either, And if we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall in temptation and a snare and many foolish uh, and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is, is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pang. We probably don't think about this much. There will be babies born today. And as they come into the world, they'll be absolutely naked. They will have absolutely no material possessions whatsoever. This is the way they enter, and this is the way that we've all entered into the world. Hopefully, there will be someone that will come along with a warm blanket and wrap it around us. 
then through a lifetime, we will spend some of our efforts at least accumulating, amassing different sorts and types of material possessions, some of which we would classify as necessities, some of which are not. Uh, Most of you know that my father passed away recently, and so we spent time in the last, well, actually, we've been working on it for some time now, uh, working through all of his stuff and, you know, getting rid of the things that we don't see really any use for uh, in that. But one of the things that amazed me was this, is we went into, my mom and dad had this big walk-in closet, and we walk into it, and and, and just, just, just the number of clothes that my dad had. Literally, he had at least 75 pairs of slacks. Literally, he had at least that many shirts and probably more than that. Now, you need to understand, my father was in the clothing business. And my father was also one of those people who he would buy just about anything if he got a good deal on it. (laughs) One of the amazing things is that we've been putting these pants in boxes then uh, there were a lot of them that still had the tags on them. He never wore them one time, and I knew why he bought them. He bought them just because they were a really good deal. But he's gone now. You know, his spirit left this world back to two days before Christmas. And absolutely, all of that stuff that he had amassed in his lifetime, he left every bit of it behind. We all do the same thing. I mean, this is not the unusual pattern. This is not only just a common pattern. This is what happens absolutely every time. Think this morning a little bit about how much time and effort and energy you have put into doing that one particular thing. Our lives are so very different than the lives of so many people in this world. We sponsored a little girl in the, in the school in Uganda for many years. She eventually grew up, graduated, and, and all of that. And while I was there in 2007, I was able to spend some time with little Jennifer. And uh, one of the things that I asked her was this is, if I could give you something, what would it be? And her first response is she wanted to come home with me. And then I said, well, if that's not possible, what would you like? And you'll never guess what she said. A pair of shoes. She had no shoes. That's hard for most of us to even begin to conceive of. I was just teasing with Lori the other day that we were looking in the closet because, you know, she and I have been doing a lot of walking, and it's important to have the right kind of walking shoes, stuff like that. But we're looking in the closet, and I said, we're almost becoming one of these shoe divas. We don't just have one pair of shoes. We have multiple pairs of shoes. We helped someone move years ago, dear friends of ours. And uh, she had a 55-gallon drum full of shoes. 
literally. It was a 55-gallon drum, and it was full to the brim. It must have been 100 pairs of shoes in that drum. He, on the other hand, probably had 100 polo shirts. He was a golfer and had golf shirts and stuff, probably 100 of them. Now, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm using these as an example to d- d- illustrate some things. Not that there's anything wicked about these people or different about them than the rest of us. The fact is all of us have do things similar to this. We accumulate things. And very often they're things that we don't use very often or not. They just kind of sit there and sit there and sit there and sit there. And I can see some of the wives looking at their husbands right now. You know, Lori got into this habit a number of years ago. She goes through our whole house once a year, and stuff that we're not using, she gives away. Or takes it to Annie Johnson. Now, a neat thing happened just recently. My mother, she's living in an assisted living place, and she met this lady from Puerto Rico. And she started talking with her and telling her about, you know, that we had all this stuff of dad's. And it turns out that her husband had needed those clothes, and so she was able to give all the clothing to that lady. Uh, and you guys have experienced this over the years. As you, as you give things that you're not using, things that you don't need to other people, there is contentment and real joy that comes in having the opportunity to do that. We need to be people who are very free in giving of our material possessions to other people, especially when we really don't need them and we just have them and we're just keeping them. They, you know, we do this. We cling to some things. How many things have you got in your house that you keep thinking, well, I'll use it eventually or, you know, whatever? Uh, I use this illustration when I smooth students in college, and that is this. Let's say you come to class today and, and, and you take a quiz and, and you do poorly on it. And so now you're depressed and you know you did badly on it. You're depressed. So what do you do? The mall's right across the street. So you go across the street, and, and, you, spend, and you look around, and you find a blouse or shirt that you think is just really going to look really good on you. And so you buy it, and it's probably a ridiculous price. But you want it so badly that you, you do it. And, and there's something about buying things sometimes that we get this little inner joy of being able to do it. And we're all guilty of this kind of thing. Then you, you, you take it home and you wear it maybe once or twice. And then it sits. And it sits. And eventually maybe you do give it away. I mean, how many times in our lives have we repeated that same pattern? God has blessed us bountifully when it comes to things like this. It's a lesson, I think, that probably older people do learn eventually. I would imagine most of the older people that are here that are approaching or getting closer to the time of their passing and all of that, they don't put near as much stock in physical possessions as they used to. It's a lesson that we all need to begin to learn even when we're younger.
Paul talks here in verse 8. He says, if we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. Let me ask you something. Have you ever been content in your whole lifetime with nothing but the bare essentials? Just food, just clothing. You notice here that Paul doesn't even mention having a roof over your head, which we would say is an absolute essential. You think about the life that Paul led, and you think about the life that Jesus led. Jesus could have had the treasures of the universe. And he talked about how he had no place to even lay his head. Paul lived a very difficult life on the road. There's no telling how many thousands of miles he covered in his lifetime on his missionary journeys, walking. I was talking with someone the other day. I mean, just think about this. Just think of the benefits that we have in all the motorized vehicles that we have. Unfortunately, everybody has one, and so now the streets are very crowded, especially if you go to Ocala. You know, that kind of thing. But, but when Lori and I, we went to Uganda, let me tell you, I tell people this all the time, that if you get to worship with Ugandan believers one time, it's worth the thousands of miles you have to travel and the days it takes to get there. If, if you go just for that and then turn around and come back, it would be well worth the trip. Because there is a joy that comes across in their worship that you very rarely see in American believers. There's appreciation that they have for what little they do have. I can remember the very first day that we were in Uganda, we were at one of the missionary houses, and Lori and I had gone outside, and we were walking around, and there were some kids in a little field next door that were playing soccer. And their soccer ball was nothing but a bunch of old tattered rags that were bound together. That was their soccer ball. But the thing that stood out was this. It was one of those small boys. He must have been maybe 8 or 10 years old. He was completely naked. He had no shoes. He had no clothes. He had absolutely nothing on. You and I would be aghast. But evidently it was commonplace there because no one else seemed to pay him one bit of attention. Something that which tells you, something that people were used to seeing, maybe experiencing to some degree themselves. It's very easy when we have material wealth to become spiritually poor. I don't think most people do very well with it. Well, you might be sitting here today saying, you know what, I'm not very financially well off compared to most of the people sitting around me. I, I, one of those, I struggle, you know, from week to week and month to month and all that with the bare minimum. You may be one of those people. 
But one of the problems, guys, with this is that when we're provided so well for, it's easy for us to forget our utter and absolute dependence upon God for everything. Maybe you're not a very wealthy person, and maybe the reason for that is God knows your heart, and he knows that you would not do very well with it. Maybe he's saving you from that temptation. And we understand, as Paul alludes to this in verse 9, but those who, who want to get rich fall in temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmless desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. We know this, that wealth, having wealth, can lead us to fall into a whole host of different sins. What about greed? I don't, I, I don't know about you, but I've known some very wealthy people in my day. And what I found in common with every one of them is this, is they don't seem to be content. They don't seem to be satisfied. They seem to spend most of their time worrying about keeping what they've got. And at the same time, doing everything they can to get more of it just in case they lose what they've got. It's very easy for people who have so much to begin to depend upon their possessions rather than the one who gave them those possessions. And it's very easy for us to fall also into this trap, and, and that trap is this, is thinking, you know what, I've worked really hard my whole lifetime to get what I've got. I deserve it. I earned it. I just want to burst a little bubble if you happen to be there. There are people today in this world that will work harder today than you've ever worked a day in your life, and they'll get almost nothing for doing it. Now, I'm not trying to discourage you from working hard. We need to do that. But we know this. Ultimately, the reason we're blessed is because God has chosen to bless us with these things. That's the only thing that sets us apart from other people, or a lot of other people, is God has blessed us with them. Jesus warns us. He gives some stark warnings in his Sermon on the Mount and in other places. You can't love mammon, which is money or treasures, and God, you can't do both. You cannot serve two masters. He also tells us not to lay up for ourselves treasures on earth, the treasures in heaven. Ever hear of William Whiting Borden? Probably no, most of you have never have. Borden is the Borden that you're familiar here, the Borden Dairy Company. He lived back in the eight, late 1800s. He was the heir to the Borden fortune, 
which was consumed uh, was considerable even at that point. Today, Borden Company is assessed at two billion dollars. He was an heir to that. But rather than pursue the family business, he decided to become a missionary. He left it all behind. And he set out for China. On the way, he contracted encephalitis or something like that. And he died. There would be a lot of people, I think, that would look at that life story and they would say, what a waste. Gave up so much and got very little, if nothing, for it. I wouldn't say that at all. I'd say that's a very good example of a victorious life. Someone that was really able to overcome the temptation that material possessions bring to us and to give his life and his heart wholeheartedly to his God and to the advancement of his kingdom. When we were in Uganda... We really grew to love Zoe and, and, and Sam Kasuli. Still keep in contact with Sam. When Lori and I first met Sam, he was chasing a little pig around in his yard, and he it was a it was a something he somehow he got gotten it. You know that, that that something like that is a big deal there, because they can eat off of it for a while. Uh, but so Sam was not very impressive at all. And in those days, he was, or before that, he had a reputation in town. His reputation was he was the town drunk. And you guys have heard me talk about Sam just recently. He was the town drunk. And don't tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. Because he took Sam Kasuli and took him from being the town drunk to becoming pastor of New Life Church in Busoro, Uganda. He did that. We had the great privilege many years ago now, most of you were not even here, to have Sam and Zoe standing right here on the stage with me. They came here to visit. We had them to our house for a meal uh, before that. They stayed with Dick and Barb Johnson, if you remember Dick and Barb, very close to them. I was concerned, and my concern was this. Is they're going to come here and see how we live. And they're going to think ill of us. That we live so high on the hog. And very often they just basically eke out an existence. Why don't we help them more? Why don't we send them more of our resources? Zoe said to me one day, and this surprised me. She said, you guys must, must love us a whole lot. And I'm thinking, that's not 
the question I was waiting for. The question I was waiting for was, why don't you sin more? Why don't you do more? You're obviously capable of doing that. What she said to me was this. She said, because you're willing to leave this to come to see us. Leave this where you are to come to be with us where we are. I used to tell people that if you're a Ugandan, an average Ugandan, if you have enough possessions to fill up a shoebox, you're considered to be wealthy. These people, where we were in Bundabalinga the first time, they have absolutely nothing. But many of them come to faith and they realize that they may not have material possessions. They have, but they have the most important thing that you can have. That is salvation in Jesus Christ. Knowing him as Lord and Savior. Knowing he is your provider and he will provide everything that you need. Notice here he says the love of money is a root. We put the A in there. You need to understand that. But it doesn't say the root of all sorts of evil. And very often when people quote it, that's what they say. That money is the root of all evil. Right. Uh, But it should be all sorts of evil. In other words, it's not the root for every evil thing. But there are a lot of evil things that are rooted in this desire to be wealthy. Jesus describes people in the parable of the sower and how they respond to the gospel when they hear it. He talks about those who, he likens them to the soil that is beside the road and The seed falls upon it, and the birds of the air come, and they eat it up immediately. And so what you're talking about here is people that they hear the gospel, that it just goes in one ear and out the other. It doesn't settle at all. They don't even give it due consideration. So it's just fleeting. It just passes. Then he talks about other soil. And the one that we need to maybe focus on this morning. He talks about the seed that falls amongst the thorns and the thistles. He said these are the people that uh, they're still very much in the world. They're very worldly. And the thorns and the thistles come and they choke out. Basically, what little faith they may have had. Do you understand that that is, you know, if we fall into this picture, if we're not the good soil, or the good soil, which is the last one he talks about, then we're on good, good solid ground, and that's the only good solid ground there is. But if there's anybody here that's in the midst of those thorns and the thistles, you need to be warned. You're in a precarious, very dangerous place. 
because your love of wealth will eventually choke out whatever faith you may have. All kinds of sins flow forth from, and let me just say this, being wealthy is not a sin. We need to understand this. It is not a sin to be wealthy. As a matter of fact, there are people in the Bible who were blessed very greatly. You think about Job. Job was a very wealthy man. So was David. So was Solomon. So was Abraham. They were wealthy people. So wealth is not the issue. The issue is where is it? In the scheme of things, do you look upon it as a mechanism by which God has blessed you, which enables you now to to give blessings galore to lots of other people that otherwise may not have those blessings at all? Do you look upon it as a way just to sustain you through life so that you don't have to work anymore or do anything anymore? But do you always remember that absolutely everything in this universe belongs to him, all of it? It's easy for us to fall into this trap of tithing, and that is the idea that I give 10% of all the things that God gives me, and I'm on good ground. I'm doing what the Lord has told me to do. I want to remind us this morning that God has given everything he's given to us for a reason. And it's always to be used for his glory. In other words, we're stewards of 100% of it, not just 10% of it. That means, is our home used for the glory of God? Is our vehicle used for the glory of God? Is this used for God's glory, or is it just used for my convenience, for my well-being, etc., etc., etc.? He owns all of it. It's all his stuff. Stop talking about your house. Stop talking about my car. Stop talking about my this and my that. It's not yours. It's not mine. It is all his. Every bit of it. And he has entrusted it to us. To use it in ways that glorify and honor him. Let me ask you something. Is worldly wealth worth losing God over? Is it? I hope you say no. And I hope you really, really mean it.